our protector. You are almighty and you are infinitely holy. We thank you, our Father, that you are our all in all. And we come to you thanking you that you're a God of grace and mercy. You're a God who forgives in Christ Jesus our iniquities, our transgressions, our sin, the whole scope. And yet you remain in all things a holy God who will, in the end, our Father, bring all sin into account on all those who reject you. Under the eye of your judgment, you are faithful, you are true. You are glorified in your salvation, you are glorified in your judgment. And having been justified by faith in Christ Jesus, we have peace with God also through him. Father, we pray for those this morning who are unable to be with us. Some are far away, some are traveling and visiting with loved ones and family. Some are, Father, who are deeply hurting and on death's doorstep this very moment. We pray for them. We pray for their families. We pray that you would give them peace and joy, even in the midst of grief, a paradox that only you can achieve. Now we pray that your word, the exposition, may be manifest in the hearts and minds of your people, and you may be glorified in your Son. We ask it in his name. Amen. I want to read for this occasion Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. This is just a snippet of the Christmas story. And in the same region of Bethlehem, which is very near Jerusalem, and in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. Suddenly an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. They were terribly frightened, and the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For today, in the city of David, Jerusalem, there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You shall find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. As I ponder this, I'm reminded that sometimes people just don't get it. They're incapable of seeing the bigger picture. They can look at the glory of autumn and see nothing but the leaves they have to rake. They can think of Oregon, and nothing comes to mind except the rain. There's a little piece of English verse that speaks of human small-mindedness. Kitty cat, kitty cat, where have you been? I've been to London to see the Queen. Kitty cat, kitty cat, what saw you there? I saw a mouse under her chair. 
this obtuseness to majesty and preoccupation with the superficial is nowhere more evident than what people miss in the Christmas narratives like this one. We tend to get all caught up in the straw and the stall. We miss altogether the statements that God made there that evening. All the sentimentalism, the substance, passes the intellect. We have, we humans, we have this way of romanticizing the nativity and blowing right past the profound theology. Blowing right past the timeless truths engraved on the major for thinking people. This particular baby represents a cosmic statement, a divine inscription on the face of the human dilemma. How in the world, this dark world, can we find peace and joy and everlasting life? Now, I'm using the manger as a metonym, and what I mean by that term is a part that is symbolic of the whole, like the altar is symbolic of marriage, and a dining room table is symbolic of the food on it, or a house is symbolic of a family. The Bethlehem manger is symbolic, as I'm using it, of the one who is cradled in it. That manger reminds us that God is a God of miracles. There are two stunning miracles emblemized by the manger scene. One, a virgin gave birth to a child. That's a miracle that signifies, first of all, that this infant was supernaturally conceived. One sent from God, the Son of God, as no other, who became also the Son of Man. And a mystery we can never get our minds fully around. It reminds us, too, that God became flesh. That's why the angel gave him the name. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he dwelled among us and he revealed to us in the flesh what God is like. What is impossible with man is possible with God. God, our God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a God of miracles. It serves notice that God is the source and the author of all life, that the laws of nature are nothing more, get this, the laws of nature, you kids get this. I'll stop right there and say something I heard the other night. It was a study. Um, I don't always watch John Wayne and Clint Eastwood. Once in a while, I watch serious stuff. Once in a while. <laughs> it reminds us, you kids, that the laws of nature are nothing more than a formal description of the rhythms of God's creation. That's all they are. The laws of nature are a description of the regularities that God has encoded on the face of what we call nature. So if you're between 13 and 30, that's the age frame where most people get troubled by these kinds of questions and they peel off. 
they're out of here. If you're there, think. God is not subject, thinking of the miracle of Bethlehem. He's not subject to the laws of nature. What? Absolutely. Rather, the laws of nature are subject to the purpose and will of God. Man, God teaches us, the scriptures, Revelation, teaches us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God. It's one of the things I tried to get across, only with limited success in the COVID period. Hey, there is God. COVID does not rule God. God rules COVID. Worship Him. In the same way, the world does not exist or sustain itself by the laws of nature. And I'm thinking about the miracle in the manger. But every word that proceeds from a sovereign God, that's what rules. What a foolish thing to ponder how the God who created the starry host, the planets in their courses, how he brought forth this God who appeared in Jesus Christ. He brought forth the world out of nothing. Ex nihilo. By the word of his mouth, he said it and it happened. Bang. Who created man out of the dust of the ground and made human being the first one, a living soul. What a foolish thing, I say, to ponder. Well, tell me, sir, how could God supersede or temporarily suspend or modify or accelerate or decelerate the laws and the forces of nature that he established? Are you kidding me? That's no problem. Nothing that needs to be done. God is a God of miracles. Nothing that suits his purposes is impossible with God. Luke 137. What is impossible with men is possible with God. He can do what he wants. He can do it when he wants. Where he wants. For as long as he pleases. Miracles are no challenge to God. To cause the Son of God to be born by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit in the womb of a mere woman. Problem? We're dealing with God here, folks. No problem. Had a very rich old man living beside us in my brother's apartment in Naples. We got kind of friendly with him. And I was talking to him one day down by the pool. He was a Presbyterian man, but he was he was an unbeliever from the top of his head to the core of his being to the bottom of his foot. His name was Carter. Well, he couldn't get past the, the virgin birth. He couldn't get past the manger. How could that happen? We're dealing with God here. For someone to say, yes, but Jim, 
if God made the sun to stand still, think about that, then this or that or something else would have been the consequence. Think, man, of the laws of nature. I mean, to speak respectfully, but there would have been a chain reaction of cosmic effects. We know that. Follow the science, Pastor. <laughs> that this would have caused that and that would have caused this. That all got mixed. People just don't get it, do they? They cannot seem to comprehend that when the God who created all things, who ordered their causes and effects and relationships, they cannot seem to get it. That he is not limited by what we're limited by. They limit his power and intelligence to take all that into account and keep all of his balls in the air without dropping one. They don't get it. You say, God, it changes the whole game. How ludicrous of silly human beings to come upon a wondrous machine, do back engineering, and figure out how and why this thing works to discover the laws of its operation and then, brilliantly, conclude and declare that because they figured out how it works and why, that just because they discovered its mechanical secrets, no great engineer could have been part of it. That's how you spell S-T-U-P-I-D. How naive to mock a person who dared to believe that the engineer who created such a mighty and magnificent piece of, machi of machinery could any time for any reason he wants modify temporarily its mechanical laws and operations to suit himself. The manger reminds us, get this, 13 to 30-year-olds, God is not a servant of the nature he created. Rather, nature is the servant of God. God is not subject to any power or force in the cosmos. God is the sovereign creator and sustainer of all that is, was, and ever shall be. God is the unconditioned one. Nothing changes or modifies the being of God, but he alters things as he pleases and wherever he pleases. The manger is an example of that. In short, the manger testifies that our God is a God of miracles. God can accomplish at any time, under, under any circumstances, by any given means, what is impossible for human power or intelligence to bring about under the same conditions and limitations and time frame. Question I ask us all. Sometimes we believers tend to drift into these intellectual traps. Are you one who's underestimating God, his power, his wisdom, to deal with whatever overwhelms you and may be driving you at this moment to despair? Deal with that stuff all the time personally. Your God, who appeared to us in Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. Your God is sovereign. Take that home with you.
His ordinary way in ordering his purpose is to work through providence. What does that mean, providence? Providence means means. God ordinarily does not work directly. When he wants to do something, he doesn't take his hand, bang. But he works through means. But when he wants to, when it's his pleasure, he works by miracles. That's not the regular way. When it's a miracle, he directly intervenes, suspends, accelerates, or decelerates the regular rhythms of nature. A word of exhortation to all of us, not just any non-believers who may be with us, but us believers, we have to be reminded. Trust in the word and the works of the Lord. What he promised, and these are days you need this exhortation, I need them. What he promised, he will perform. What he wants to do, he has all power to do. I don't know what God will do, but as I tell you all the time, it's important for me to know what God can do. And I've seen it again and again. There are mysteries I don't understand. You don't understand. He can move any mountain. He can stop the sea in its tracks. He can arrest disease. He can make anything successful or bring any enterprise, any human enterprise to disaster. Nothing can stop God when there's no room for him in Bethlehem. Nothing can stop God when he doesn't intend to be stopped. Trust in God, folks. The God who appeared to us in Emmanuel, that babe in a manger, that mystery we cannot get our heads around. Take him at his words and relax. Now, I say that. I say that. I'm human like you are. And I don't always relax. I have my days of throwing things. <laughs> I can't. I'm so sick of this. But then in faith, us and I get hold of ourselves. And we come back. Rubber band comes back in place. And we relax. Most of the time we can. You're a human too. Trust in God. Call yourself back. Let the rubber band come back in place. Don't get all stretched out. God is bigger than all the obstacles in the universe and in the universe of your life. He can turn your life around, I say to any of you who may be unbelievers. He can fill your heart, you may not understand it, with peace and happiness. He can and will, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, his son, give you eternal life and the assurance of eternity with him. Trust in God. The manger reminds us, number two, that God is a God of surprises. Oh, boy. Many of us in this room, if we just take the time, could stand up and tell you about this. Not to mention the testimonies of the Scripture. God always does exactly what He promises. And hear this. He rarely comes calling in the way we expected Him. As I say in one message, which is probably the most prominent I've ever preached, 
he comes to us oftentimes walking on water in the fourth watch of the night. Who would have ever expected that? With God, you can count on one thing, brother and sister. He will act in the ways that are consistent with his character. And what do we know what his character? It's not a guess. We've got his revelation. He will operate within those bounds. But within those bounds, there are many things that sometimes we don't understand. What we know about God is God is compassionate. God is merciful. God is slow to anger. He abounds in loving kindness and faithfulness to his promises. He will keep his covenant to us forever, to those who love him. He's a God who forgives on the basis of Christ's atoning death on a Roman cross. But just as scrupulously, he's a just God. He will relentlessly, in the end, visit the sins of the fathers upon the children and the grandchildren right down through the generations who persist in despising and rejecting his gracious overtures to salvation. That you can always count on. You can't always count on his moral attributes of appearing as such. That's where sometimes he'll mystify the socks off of us. That doesn't seem like the moral God that I read about. For example, there's the compassion of the world, which wears a soft face but has a cruel outcome. The compassion of God on the face of it may seem cruel, but it yields a blessed result. God always surprises us, his people. He reminded the prophet Elijah of this trait. Remember this? When we expect him to move in with heavy artillery and deal with this, boom, 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 he routes the enemy with a still, small voice. We never expect that. He doesn't appear with a tumultuous earthquake nor a mighty wind, but he comes to us in mercy with a gentle breeze. Those are his instruments at times. Never expected that. He comes not with raging fire, but a tiny spark does his work as often as not. Surprises us. Sometimes he lands hard on the wicked. Surprises us. Where would we would expect him to appear in glory, we meet him like the manger. In humble circumstances, who would expect of the king of Israel, the king of kings, the king of the universe? Who would have ever expected him to be born in a stupid manger? A bunch of lowing animals. God in the flesh. Where we would expect to find him in a royal mansion, he appears to us lying in a manger in a stable. Who would expect him to announce his advent? Where we would expect him, I'm saying, to announce his advent to the rich and the powerful. They were in Jerusalem, the big studs. He makes his appearance known only to a few dirty shepherds tending their flocks in a field at night. Wow. Where we would expect him to conquer the world by storming the world with a sword of justice. 
he comes conquering through the cross. I think most of us have that instinct, do I do? When at night I'm trying to decompress and I'm watching grit, (laughs) there's a psychology behind it. Everything in me, as I look at this crazy, wicked, upside-down world, my heart just yearns. It'll happen one day, but my heart just yearns. Lord, grab your guns. Come in blazing. Deal with this crazy place, please. I watch the movie. It's then resolved. And for five seconds or less, I feel real good all over. Justice has been served. God does not usually serve it up like that. God is a God of surprise entries, I'm telling you. Sometimes he makes, get this, his entry through sickness, not by health. Sometimes through poverty, not plenty. Sometimes he makes his entry into your life and mine through failure, how we hate it, not by success. Through pain, not by pleasure. Through discomfort, not comfort. I'm telling you, you and I, believers, followers of Jesus Christ, we can't put our God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in a box. He's too big, too inscrutable for us puny people to predict, except within the boundaries that he himself has described for us. He has promised us to be merciful, but he hasn't always shown us the unexpected shapes that his mercy may take. He has promised to love us, but he has not informed us about the forms in which love may show up. Question for us all. Have we put God in a box into which he hasn't put himself? Are you struggling in your faith? We all will at times. Because God doesn't show up in your life when you expect him or in the way you expect him. Didn't deliver as you expected him. I've had that experience. I told you, most of you won't know or remember, weren't even here. One time, our home in Denver wasn't selling. I was out here without my family. I'd been almost a a year waiting for a home to sell and my family in it. One day I got a call. Oh, God is good. Jimmy, I think, Aussie's voice cracking, I think our home just sold. Praise God. To shorten the story, the next day I found that the potential buyer had walked. I'd never been here before. This was a pastor, a seminary teacher, a spiritual leader. I went to my office. I slammed my door. Yes, I slammed it. Bang! That is not usually my way. Went over behind my desk, and I sat there, steamed. Never been here before. I looked at those shelves of books on either side. Unfortunately, my arms weren't long enough. I wanted to get up out of there. 
walk out of my office, stick my hands in both shells on the way out, and just dump all those books behind me. Walk out the door, go down, get in the parking lot, get in my little Datsun B210, big car, and drive all the way back to Denver to be with my family. Man, I was steamed. God surprises us. Sometimes we're looking for a manger, a, ma a mansion rather than a manger. Thirdly, it reminds us, the manger does, reminds us that God is a God of humble people. And we must be humble people. The shepherds were humble people of no account in the local community. The parents were humble people with no status in the community. In fact, they're out of their city, town, village, down in Bethlehem where they were nothing, a zero. And the magi who came later were outsized. They were distinguished where they lived, but with no standing in this community. Humble people does not necessarily mean poor people or despised or humiliated people. Biblically, humble people are those who belittle themselves. That is, they're people like most of you who know Christ. They're people who look in the mirror and they see themselves as fallen, broken, sin-corrupted people. Somebody says, heard a man one time say, walked out and he never came back. Oh, that's dark, man. The reality is dark. Get used to it. It is dark. That's us. Humble people are those who appreciate their own fallenness and are ready to submit themselves to God as their rightful sovereign, to trust in Him through His Son rather than trust in themselves. They're ready to t readier to take His Word and trust it and to trust human wisdom and run with it. God exalts the proud, exalts the humble. He abases the proud. I ask you a question especially to those who may be non-believers among us. Are you too proud to trust God? Are you too proud to take him at his word like a child? Are you too proud for God to manifest Christ through you? Too proud to be useful? Fourthly, the manger reminds us, I love to make this point. You've heard it before. Another opportunity. It reminds us of this irony. Our culture, oh, our proud culture, is irrelevant. Our culture makes no room for God. It has no place for God. It has room for everything but the main thing. What a metaphor of human life and human culture was played out in Bethlehem that night. We live in a culture presently that has, like Bethlehem, no room for God. No room for his son, Christ. No room for royal family. It is blind to who is who and what is what. I say it, love to say it. Believe it with all my heart. The culture we live in is dumber than a box of rocks. It's irrelevant. The manger says God is there with Francis Schaeffer, now deceased. The manger says God is there, and he is not silent. And he wasn't silent that night. He has spoken in that manger. He has faithfully acted in accordance with what he had previously revealed. 
The manger says that whatever and whoever is in alignment with him, God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is wide, wise and true and living in accordance with ultimate reality. Do you know what truth means? I mean, there's more than one definition. But the definition we go by, the truth corresponds to reality. Whatever corresponds to reality. The manger says all of our hopes are dreams of vanity apart from him. The manger says we have no future if you don't know him, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you haven't received him by trusting him, it's saying, I'm telling you in his behalf, you have no future the way you're going, the way you are living, the way you're thinking. It's not according to reality. You're living in fantasy. And do you know what that is, people who live in fantasy? It's called insane, insanity. Our culture is always asking the wrong questions. Our culture is always seeking the wrong answers. Like you, I read, I see it, and I say, you've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. Seriously? Our culture is forever asking the wrong people. Our culture is forever serving the wrong gods. Worshiping, serving something that is not God. Our culture is forever pushing the wrong goals. I ask you, are you waiting for God to make his message relevant to you? Did it ever occur to you that you may wait till hell freezes over? Does it ever occur to you that you're a champion of the Pony Express and email reality? that you're still cranking out buckboards in a jet age. That's our culture. Finally, the manger reminds us that time is running out on this present world system. Listen, God would not have sent us a way of salvation unless we were on the path to destruction. We are. Had we not been lost, he would not have sent his son to seek and to save. Communion reminded us. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And all of us were born into this world of that kind. We are all born sinners. Anti-God in spirit. If there were not a judgment of, to come, a hell to shun, there would have been no first coming. There would have been no crucifixion. There would have been no expectation of a second coming. By implication, the manger says the clock on God's purpose in history is ticking, tick, tick, looking at that clock every second. Sometimes I do that in front of a microwave. I put that up there. I put 30 seconds up there, 30 seconds, and I stand there looking at it. Gee, that's how fast our life is passing. How long have you been in this room? Some of you have heard this before. How long have you been in this room? Some of you are saying, too long, get it over with. 
How long have you been in this room? I'm telling you something. You're that much nearer dead than when you sat down in here. Get real. Get real. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the window of opportunity for salvation from our sins. Now is the time for redemption of our souls. The time for reconciliation. David mentioned that with God through Christ Jesus, the Son of God. But that window will not be open. Hear me. It'll not be open forever. Not only is the, not only is the curtain coming down on history as we know it, not only that, but this very minute, the meter is running on your very life. Not just us old folks, but you young folks. Got a young man in our church, young, in the hospital. Not his fault. Brain cancer. How did that happen? Much too young. Death may interrupt your moment of opportunity before the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before the body lies cold in the grave. The conscience may be stone cold in the heart. The day of salvation may pass before you do. Foreclosed by a thousand rejections of the promptings of the Holy Spirit who points you to Christ. Time, that little manger resounds, is running out on the long march. It's winding down on us. Not because of the threat of the nuclear war, can't promise there won't be one, but because of human sin. It's winding down not because of racial hostilities, but because of spiritual animosity toward God. There's the problem. Get relevant. Not because of environmental pollution, but because of internal corruption in you and me and him and her, as W. Christmas said, said last night, somebody you. You're not the answer. You and I are part of the problem. Not because of climate change, but because of Christ's coming. Not because of overpopulation, but because of unrelenting self-gratification. Not because of the threat of universal famine, but because of spiritual vermin. Question, is anybody in this room playing beat the clock? Are you gambling that there is no clock? The manger says God's meter is running on my life, your life, his life, her life. The man whose time is most likely to run out sooner than he thinks is the very person who is so very sure that he or she has all the time in the world. Let me warn you, don't tempt God with that macho attitude. If there is anything we know biblically that catches God's undivided attention, it's the person with that attitude. So I admonish us all, look at the manger, look at the med messages embedded in the manger. God spoke a mouthful at that manger. He said all those things and more. 
We thank him for his son. We're glad you're here. But all you've done today, for which we're glad, is just attend a church service. But I hope you've attended the message. If you don't know him, it's urgent. And for those of us who know him, it's a good reminder of things we may have gone a little askew about. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, Jesus, which means Savior, sending him into the world to redeem us from our sins. And Lord, we are surely sinners. We need life and that more abundantly. We need eternal life in him. We need the forgiveness, the pardon of our many sins, sins that we know, sins that we don't even see or think about. We need to be reconciled with you in him. We pray the Spirit would move some among us to put their trust in Jesus this very day. We ask it in his name.